0: Welcome to the Sprocket Podcast, where we are simplifying the good life. I'm Guthrie Straw, and I'm Tom McTye, broadcasting from the Pe-
1: the People's Republic of Portland, nestled in the heart of
0: Fisk. We are the show that brings you somewhat irreverent conversations about the intricacies of thinking locally with a global perspective, and enjoying the best that life has to offer along the way.
1: Covering bicycling, trains, and transit adventures, and life hacks. And today, medicine by bike.
0: That's right. We've got Bill, Sarah, and David here in the studio with us for the evening. We're going to be talking bikes and medicine, and uh, more probably more medicine than bikes. Uh, everyone, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And Bill, uh, tell us just real quick uh, what a little bit about what you do and, and sort of what organization um, or, or what is encompassed by your organization.
2: Well, I am the medical director of Portland Street Medicine. We're a new program, started uh, less than a year ago. Um, you maybe may wonder, what is street medicine? Well, I didn't know what it was a year ago. It's, uh, it's not quite recognized by the American College of Physicians yet, but it is a practice. It's an old practice. People have been doing street medicine in India and Central America and all over the world since the beginning. Um, the more modern um, take on street medicine pretty much started in Boston in the 80s, and that... Um, uh the, the idea was to bring health care to the people where they live because a certain portion of the people will just for whatever reason not go indoors for healthcare. care um, and so I became familiar with this practice last year at a, at a symposium I fell in love with it I said I'm gonna join the Portland street medicine team and I f- soon found out there was no such thing so I came back and uh, a bunch of us decided to get things going so here we are
0: excellent and Sarah how did you get involved with the organization
3: Um, I got involved with Portland Street Medicine through previous work with Bill. He and I worked together in Chicago in a hospital there, and when I told him that my family and I were moving out here, he told me about it, and I had to be involved. So a couple days after we moved was the first time I went out with them on rounds.
0: Okay. And David, we were talking a little bit before the show there uh, that you're more of a recent and involver of uh, Portland Street Medicine. How did you get involved with
4: uh, the organization? So, uh, I'm a student nurse at OHSU in my senior year right now, and I'm doing my, like, leadership term. Okay. And so, me and uh, Duncan, who's an, uh, another nursing student, we um, we really pushed to see if we could get to do our clinical rotations with Portland Street Medicine. So, we've been doing it for about 10 weeks now.
0: Okay. Yeah. Awesome. And we'll be getting all into Portland Street Medicine here in just a few, uh, but first... Last but certainly not least, Tom, it's been a while. Hey, hey, it's good to be back. Welcome. You, You might have heard the beginning of our intro and said, hmm, that doesn't sound like Aaron uh what, what have you been up to tom T- aaron is currently in minneapolis celebrating thanksgiving with his sweetie so tom was very kind to fill in last moment and to join us yet again are you are you in the are you in the fifth time club by by now um i think
1: this might be three three okay yeah, yeah. we're working three on four, we're working our right, way up there right on yeah yeah Excellent. great to be back great to be back um yeah so actually yeah i've been on the show before for uh cranksgiving in portland and uh i almost didn't happen this year um but uh i was super busy and out of town a bunch and um but other people have stepped up and that's actually gonna happen yeah
0: so. and tell us a little bit about cranksgiving this year
1: um this year it's um headed up by juliana wallace who's doing an amazing job and um we the beneficiary is actually Portland Street Medicine. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Funny how that works. We almost planned. It. Yeah. So um so that's really exciting and a new thing. And this year it's at Nomad Nomad Bikes. Okay. Um Bella Cult closed and uh so they found a new place and we're really excited to see what happens over there.
0: Yeah. Pa- passing of the torch, so to speak.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's really exciting.
0: What have you been up to lately? Mm,
1: gosh. Let's see. Um I got back into music recently so I'm uh, playing again. I uh, play the bass a little bit. Nice. Um what else am I doing? Other stuff. Interesting stuff. Just like doing <laughs> the stuff <things>. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, nice. I'll get back to you. But yeah, no, that's good. The, the main thing on my mind is like yeah, laying down the funky grooves again, you know. Okay. And, uh, so yeah, I'm interested in that.
0: Are you looking for a band to plug into or just kind of picking yeah. it I'm back up? I'm
1: playing with somebody from work okay. and so we might might be building on that. But yeah. Right oh, now excellent. it's very much just like trying to get calluses back on my fingertips mm-hmm. kind of thing. Oh yeah. indeed. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. So um, it's. Do, are bass calluses different than guitar calluses? I'm curious. Are they are they yeah. wider but by they nature? They must be wider. Okay. And Mine are like just wearing off. I was I was tearing one off yesterday. But the ukulele calluses are like little tiny ah, strings. So cool, cool. who knows? Maybe maybe there's a difference. <laughs> Well, well good deal so um, it's glad you're picking up bass. and uh, are you gonna are you gonna send us a tune when you when you get all oh, up yeah and running? yeah
1: I could write a write a, a trains in transit nice screw for you nice yeah, yeah. plug
0: in with doctor something perhaps <laughs> <laughs> <Right up. laughs> fantastic well it's excellent to have you back on so pleased that you were able to good make to it here and uh, help with the co-host for this eve and to Aaron in Minneapolis I hope you're having fun it's probably colder there but it's warmer in Portland so take that but not really. <laughs> um, wonderful. So Portland Street Medicine, uh, we talked just briefly about sort of the introduction of it um, and the inspiration for when you were learning about the practice of street medicine, um, how, how in-depth or what was your knowledge of it
2: coming into the Portland Street Medicine experience? Well, none, except I worked in the emergency department in Chicago and Portland, Vancouver, Washington, Okay. for my entire career. So quite familiar with the um, the problems of the homeless through the folks that come into the emergency department. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't quite comprehend the scale of it when I was working in the ED, and uh, didn't really quite comprehend the com- complexity either. Uh, the big question is always why in this town with a free health clinic on every corner, not literally, but um, why would you then have to or offer. Services outside of the free healthcare clinic system, um, and the answer is not terribly complex. Other than there are reasons, none of us like to go to the ED or into a clinic or a healthcare system, but we we can because we can find sitters and our homes are secure when we leave them, and we don't get beat up when we try to get help. So um, that's really not the case for people who are uh, out there, houseless and homeless. Uh, at least for many, not all, of course. Um, so the 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 simple answer is you can have a hospital on a corner and you can have a free health clinic on a corner, but there are people that just have difficulty accessing that, and they are ill. The um, average life expectancy for somebody sleeping on the streets is 47. Uh, that's pretty much the life expectancy back in the 1800s or in a, a third-world country. So uh, if you take just that subpopulation of Portlanders, um, they're really no different than 100 years ago. So um, we uh, don't know that we're going to be able to go out and cure their cancers or uh, prevent their heart attacks, but we first step is to get to know them.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things, I was reading the the webpage and sort of the, the model is that you're looking to forge connections with these persons. You're looking to really uh, have sort of a name basis and, and somebody that they could trust or at least be able to see over uh, reoccurrence. And so they're not necessarily working with somebody new each time. It's more uh, building that relationship or bu- building that trust within. Trust
2: and continuity. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. which And, and that's, it's, that's a challenge here in Portland. Uh, every street medicine program in, in different cities are different. Uh, and the I don't know any other cities that have quite the challenge with the sweeps that we do. Mm. We we can make as great a connection uh, over the course of a week or a month. A year, hopefully, in the future. Okay, um, but finding people is, is proven to be kind of difficult. But uh, we will, we'll, we'll give it our shot, our best shot. Mm-hmm.
0: And so you mentioned the sweeps, uh, and and that being unique to Portland, or at least more unique to Portland. What 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 are those sweeps, and sort of what do they mean for when you go
2: out to try to connect with these people? Yeah, I I I honestly I don't I haven't done the research as to what any other cities that are doing the sweeps, um, but they're Pretty prevalent here in in Portland. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're just
0: referring to Portland Police Bureau coming in and right. moving persons who are previously established, essentially.
2: Yeah, okay. and and I, I I don't know the um either the logic behind it or the um uh, how it's going. Um, I do know that it's it's certainly making our job harder. But it's this is not about us. This is about the folks out there. Um, so um, it's this is a really heavily traumatized population for. Between the like terrible uh, youth that many of these kids or kids and adults have had, and um, these, uh, my impression is these asking somebody to move every month or two months is re-traumatizing, and it's 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 difficult. I I can't imagine living that like that.
0: Mm-hmm. And Sarah and David, um, in terms of your involvement, have you sort of coming into it seen um, like a difference over time in the effect? of that sort of continuation of relationship with patients? or Because I know David's only been doing it for 10 weeks. Have you had a chance to establish
4: any of those relationships? Um, I feel like each week that we go out, um, it's like that recognition. So, when you know, the first time we see someone, you know, we might just give them a pair of socks or we might just chat with them, but then they're starting to recognize, like, who we are. And then, you know, the next week they might be able to Um, be like hey I've got a friend over here can you go say hi to them so like every week I feel like that we go out we're building like stronger and stronger relationships and people are starting to know like that we exist and who we are and that we're trustworthy and healthcare in general has had a big issue with having that trust so Mm -hmm. we're like trying to like rebuild the trust between like the already stationary healthcare system and in our model of healthcare Mm mm-hmm How has your experience been with that, Sarah?
3: I'm actually pretty shocked about the experience in that, um, you know, the first week we went out, we meet people and you're not, you don't know what to expect when you go out. And then the next time you go out, they either remember you or they remember something you did for them. And then they will ask you how you are, even though we're there to take care of them. Mm. And that just keeps growing. And so, like David said, the next time you see them, they'll... Refer us to someone else or they will reference our red t-shirts that we wear and we'll say so-and-so needs your help or they'll kind of point us in the direction of another large group of people. And there is that level of trust that you can see is growing and has grown just from the continuity of knowing we go out on specific days each week.
0: Okay. So it comes down to the days per week and then what other strategies or, or sort of what, what is the approach of Portland Street Medicine as it as it goes out and decide or sort of has these relationships with folks on the street? Is there, a, is there a, a specific
2: formula that you follow, or is it sort of a case-by-case basis? So, um, yeah, how, how do we do this? Uh, well, number one, I, it's probably best to consider us uh, more like a mobile urgent care. Um, that's because we're early at this, and we don't quite have everything in place to be doing formal primary care. Uh, at some point fairly soon, we will it, probably be more of a transitional care, meaning trying to get providing some degree of primary care type services to folks who we're hoping will access primary care in the very near future. Um, And the other, the the way we do it is uh, we essentially are pretty well um, uh, in tune with what's going on in the community and folks from other service organizations identify people who have needs and they call, write text and ask us to see people. That's sort of our primary source of folks to go see we also in doing that have formed relationships with folks that we have are ill that need follow-up on a weekly basis so that that we that's a second portion of our our mission on friday and um third uh we there are some just big high-risk camps that we know to go to where there will be business so that's really the three sources of our patients okay um yep one
0: uh, stat I saw the other day said that socks were actually the least donated but most needed item for many homeless camps or individuals, okay. um, and, and that got me thinking, was there anything that you had sort of as a, a predisposition or something that you had thought to be true that was proven otherwise as you sort of came into this, and and anything that, that really changed your mind or, or that surprised you about the work that you do?
2: Can I start? Yes. All right. And this is for everybody. This is Bill. Um, So it was very early. It was even before we started doing street medicine. I got invited to go to a um, uh, a big conference. And I announced what we were doing. And somebody walked up and said, here, have all the food left over from this conference and bring it to your people. Well, we didn't really have people yet. But um, we're going to figure out how to distribute this food. And it was sandwiches and pasta salad. And fruit. And I assumed that the sandwiches and the pasta salad were going to be like go fast and the fruit was just going to sit there. But it was the opposite. Okay. Um, the, the, so I, I, my presumption is um, people are craving nutrition and vitamins and, and they know how to take care of themselves. So, I again, I would have assumed otherwise, but there's one example of uh, some dignity out there, I think. That's what I think about it. Yeah, Definitely.
3: I think I was shocked by um, the simplicity of it, of just people helping people and that um, there's this weird fear that people have of homeless people. So if you watch – and I Mm. um, have done this with my kids. If you watch people, if there's a group of homeless people on the street, they will walk to the curb or they'll walk to the edge of the street and kind of ignore them. Or if someone's sleeping, they'll do the same thing where they kind of avoid the situation completely – Whereas there's nothing wrong with saying, good morning, how are you? Or checking in or just not moving because they're not, for the most part, there hasn't been danger and there hasn't been any uncomfortable. It's, it's truly just people that need a little bit extra support and encouragement and they're not scary and they're not mean, which I think is a huge misconception that they're mm. going to like, I don't know, be scary and mean, Yeah, but and they're I, not.
0: And I think especially, uh, or at least in my observation the media in and around portland is very good about telling the stories about bad things happening and not very good about telling stories about the good things that Mm -hmm. are happening Uh, so i think that at least in the view that i have sort of skews that effect um and i appreciate you saying that because i yeah it's something that not a lot of folks consider and uh, i think it's true you definitely can see people interacting differently depending on on sort of their view of that
5: The other thing I was going to really add was I think there's this preconceived notion that folks think that the um, homeless folks don't have a community out there, Mm -hmm. and they absolutely Mm -hmm. have a vibrant community that looks out for each other. Um, A lot of what we end up doing is – Someone needs to go to the hospital. It's like coordinating with the community members to watch their stuff so they don't lose everything. Hmm. And I think that's one thing that didn't – I mean, I've been doing this for a while without doctors and nurses, just out of the ER myself. So I wasn't surprised. But but I think that's a big preconceived notion that, one, that there's not a community out there that they don't care for each other. I think our best referral sources are other members living there saying, I'm fine, but – so-and-so down the street really needs you to, and then asking them, hey, could you, and then I often ask, like, will you walk me down there and just introduce me, and then we kind of get some buy-in right Mm. there. Um, And then I think the second thing is is that, I think there's also this notion that um, people out there don't really want care. They absolutely do want care. They just have so many of the things that they're focused on, Mm. Um, not losing their stuff, where are they going to go to the bathroom, where are they going to eat, are they safe, Um, that... Uh and, and then how are they gonna get there? A lot of not a lot of folks can can get farther away. And that I think there's a lot of this pre, this idea like, oh they just don't want care, they're just kinda of being lazy and I think that's absolutely – these are the mm. these are the most unlazy people I know. They're surviving every moment having to think about it. Just how to survive, how to be safe, that I think we think it's just so easy for you and I with a house to just oh, I'll just go to the yep. doctor, I'll call and get there and it's mm-hmm. like so much more it's so much different for them and like we don't really have there's not a lot of people that kind of hear their voice and hear their story. Hmm. And then when I think you get to personalize it, you can understand, like, oh, here's something I could do for you, like a pair of socks, or just something simple to just change their, their skew a little bit.
0: And this is for our listeners, Drew, who joined <coughs> in partway through the episode here. Well, welcome to the show, Drew. Thanks. Yeah. Did you have anything
4: for us, David? Um, I was just... I've I feel like the thing that was the most uh, surprising is how thankful people were that we weren't providing care for, but just for the fact that we were there doing it. Um, I feel like we've gotten a lot of people that just come up and they're just like, hey, thanks for being there. Like, I don't need anything, but it's cool to know that someone cares, that people care Mm -hmm. about our community. Uh, Kind of, you know, what Drew was saying, like there is a real community and a lot of these people know each other and they look out for each other. Um, So I guess we're just like that other piece, you know, and we're trying to really build that rapport with them to, um, I don't know, make them feel more comfortable, make them feel like they've got allies, you know.
0: Yeah, or or that 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 force behind I, it occurs to me too. Um, in terms of like Maslow's hierarchy, uh, if you're not meeting the bottom tier, you're you're not thinking about anything above that. So that that sounds like a really crucial step. Is is really helping get people and um, medical care and especially on-site care. sounds like a really great way to work towards meeting that first stage. Mm-hmm.
5: I just want to share another story just from Friday night. We were downtown underneath the Burnside bridge and a gentleman just came up to us and um, he was, uh, wanted to just kind of say thanks. And I was like, Oh cool. Like, you're welcome said no no no. you guys have visited me like five times throughout the last year and sometimes i wouldn't open up my tent but you were just there and like when when i came out and like asked for care you reassured me like hey it's gonna be all right and then he decided that he could go get care Mm -hmm. after that many visits and i just think that's just a really powerful statement of like it takes all those efforts sorry yeah um It takes all those efforts. Oh, that's our nurse calling me. Sorry. Um, It takes all those efforts to just sort of get someone to, like, maybe think Mm -hmm. about trying to do something different. And he he had the nicest compliments, just like, you were all so kind and respectful and and all these things. And I was like, how often does a healthcare provider get to hear those words? We strive Mm -hmm. for those. Yeah. But especially with this population, we don't. And that was really powerful. And I was like, can I tape you and like put it on somewhere or yeah. can i just i'm gonna i've been telling that story a lot today because i'm like i need to hear that and i think other providers need to hear mm-hmm. like right. that's that's an impactful statement about how to like, really help someone move along those stages of change so
1: that yeah. kind of segues into uh i was reading on the website like the other audience you serve you serve the houseless population but you're also kind of providing us uh, a service to healthcare providers who might need um like a way to kind of get back in touch with, um, kind of directly helping people. Like, can you talk a little bit more about that and maybe how that's, how you've personally has, has that, you know, how that participating has like enriched your life or?
2: Well, I'm, <clears throat> I'm lucky enough to have had retired from my first career in the emergency department. And, um, in the, uh, gosh, close to nine or 10 months that we've been doing this, um, I regret not having, not being able to take the skills, the interviewing skills, the things I've learned back to the ED because I'm not working there anymore. So that was early on in our um, mission building phase. We realized that it was really important for people to come out with us and um, kind of experience this. And that will change the way you practice. I mean, I suspect it would for me. I don't know that because I'm not working in the ED anymore. But I, I think there's no way you can't do this Mm -hmm. or and and not change the way you talk to people interview it it's it's more than bedside manner it's really uh, more about um realizing where people come from That there's pasts and stories and um uh just more to it than this three minute encounter that you have during your your short visit with somebody
1: it's like a deeper empathy (coughs) kind of
4: thing oh yeah yeah And I notice as a student, too, that um, we get to see those barriers, like, for discharging. If you're going to discharge someone from the hospital and you're just assuming that they have mm. the ability to do the care plan in which you're creating for them, like, I feel like for, from a student aspect or even from a provider's aspect, like, seeing they get discharged right back to the streets, like, maybe they can't, you know, keep that wound clean. Maybe they mm, can't, yeah. you know. So, like, it really changes how you do your hospital practice, being able to to change those care plans and make it focused for them to succeed, you know?
1: Mm-hmm.
5: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and one of the, the big things for me is, is talking about kind of provider distress. I'm a social worker in an ER that does outreach from, from one of the ERs in the local hospital here. And I see the distress that providers have so much and how that is carried out in their care, whether it's with the way they interview or shortness or, discharging or whatever Mm. and and just really seeing that and really seeing that how that impacts so much down the line um, this person's life so i think that's one of my main uh, well i have lots of interest but that's a a great interest i have of like bringing out more Mm -hmm. providers to really change that attitude because i think we think this is sort of the ripple effect that's going to carry over into the hospitals and into the clinics and that's how we're going to have true systemic change is by changing us one person at a time one mm. one step that we, we want to sort of it's contagious like i don't know i'm exhausted mm-hmm. i do my full day monday through thursday then on fridays we go out we we're out for 12 hours last friday or i was wow <clears throat> and i got home and i was like when are we going out again yeah. <laughs> let's do this mm-hmm. like right like um it's it's way more rewarding than people could ever imagine and i um i get to do it a lot throughout the day so I, i'm like bring more people out because i think this this truly is like healthcare reform and change uh, and it doesn't it just takes mm-hmm. our kind of attention and intentionality which is like the beautiful thing because then it's also very empowering for us to be able to do things differently mm-hmm. um, so i think i think it's a, a wonderful skill set and I, I appreciate bill sharing like his step like i want all the er doctors come out because of that engagement and that interview style like you think that they learn that in medical school they they don't you know and this mm. is this is that opportunity this is a huge crash course in providing care and i think it should be like a requirement for everyone wow, most yeah. people
2: that go into healthcare start in the right place and who knows why the system breaks them down but it does mm. uh, over scheduling and fatigue and whatever um, but we're hoping that still in people i'm sure it is Definitely. the, the people yeah, that have yeah. come along with us mm-hmm. um it takes is one or two missions to kind of maybe get it. Yeah, or to to pull back or to pull
0: that sense back out of a person of like, oh yeah, this is this is why. Yeah. Or or for what for what it's there for. Sarah, you had something to add.
3: I did. I was just kind of going off what Drew was saying in that. Um, I've been a nurse for a really long time, and it's really easy to form. Prejudgments on, like, you'll see someone who comes in with a complaint. And I've always worked in the emergency room, and you will, it's easy to roll your eyes or kind of brush it off and not really think about what's going on with the person and mm-hmm. anything like that. And you can see that behavior kind of spread like wildfire really quickly huh. in any department, not just the emergency room. Mm-hmm. But being able to do this and go out and see people where they live and they're not coming to us. We're going to them and asking if we can be part of their life and can we be part of their day and can we make a positive impact and a positive change. And so it's kind of like when you're a kid and you get that instant gratification of opening a new toy, you just want to keep doing it even though you're just doing what we should be doing as people Mm
1: -hmm. and going
3: out and helping them. And as much as we're providing care for them, they're teaching us humility. And I tell everyone this is the most amazing work I've ever done. And... I don't ever want to stop, and I would agree Mm. completely with Drew. Like you, just as soon as you're done, you're like, "I'm going back next week. I can't wait." And how can I? How can we go more? What else can we do? Mm -hmm. Wow!
1: Yeah, and so there's room for a couple more people on in your organization.
5: Thousands. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. yes but give us some time (laughs) we (laughs) want to do it right but we do want it to be big and we do want to create the opportunities Mm -hmm.
2: yeah Yeah, this is like building a fire you got to start small with Mm -hmm. little tinder and uh maybe a few foundational um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah 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 what are some of
0: the goals that portland street medicine has over the next couple of well you know year or a couple of years sort of what what does the roadmap look like for the near future there in terms of building that fire
5: you want this one, Drew? Uh, no, you can. I will, oh, I'm going to let Bill answer his first, and then I'll say my all two right. cents.
2: Well, uh, simple goals are to go from one day a week. We're trialing some evenings. for so kind of almost technically one and a half days, but uh, we'd like to be three days a week uh, within a year. Um, we uh, would like to have this funded. It's a huge deal because uh, we pretty much started. Uh, we we all the the four of us originators. Wrote checks. That's how we got this started. Not big ones. This isn't this. This is not expensive healthcare. Um, So funding, so that we can um, expand and and do this work. Um, And uh, what else, Drew?
5: I mean, I'd like. I do want to see more abilities for teams to come out. And I appreciate having like the nursing students from. OHSU coming out with us and I want to build upon that because I do think that these are teachable moments not only for us as providers but for our future generations like that's where I hope that this can go in, into more creating that um, sort of that, um, that the itch that you want to scratch like yeah I want to do mm-hmm. more of that like so we we need to be um, I I'd like to see it grow to at least three days a week in the next year um, and then I'd like to see, you know, more teams. We we got some bikes donated to us, so we have mm-hmm. a van. So now we can kind of spread out and cover more geographical area, and we can bring on a few more folks. Mm-hmm. But we also want to do it very intentionally, because we know that this is such an important thing. But if we do it wrong, we can have such a bad impact on mm-hmm. people's lives, even worse mm-hmm. than everything else. So mm-hmm. we're being very intentional about it, mm-hmm. but also, um, like, excited and enthusiastic. So I, I, I want it to grow, and I think it will um,
2: with it, Mm-hmm. And we um, hope to be unemployed volunteers in three years because the um, they'll everybody will be housed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Could you?
1: Amen.
3: S- and didn't you say one of the other goals was to try and get kind of have it come full circle and have someone that was once houseless or maybe currently still is, but come out with us and kind of be like an ambassador for Portland Street Medicine.
2: Oh, a- absolutely. I mean, you we this this is really not our practice. this is their practice, so um we can't really do this without input from the folks who are um unhoused and that can take many forms of uh, some some um consulting and and but um having members of the our team that go out and do the work from the um currently unhoused or previously unhoused community is vital mm-hmm. um and that's uh the 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 most successful um programs across the country. Ha- that's like started very early on in, in their career or their the phase of their program so mm-hmm. and you mentioned uh bicycles too being donated
0: to the initiative have they been able to help you get to places uh I, I guess more quickly or places that you wouldn't necessarily be able to to network within the same day what what sort of impact or what relationship does bicycling have to your efforts on the street
2: you want well full disclosure we just got the bikes Okay. <laughs> <laughs> to, and be, we to be determined. A, yeah, we use them for like 2 hours once. Okay. But um that that's said, a bike podcast. Yes. I have to I have yeah. to throw it out yeah. there. That, <laughs> that said we are cyclists. So many of us are cyclists at least and um we do a lot of our work on the um 205 and Spring Road okay. trail. So yeah. um it's frustrating to only be able to cover a certain amount of territory as we are with with the van. So um it's it was my vision from the early from the early stages. I I didn't picture us getting this beautiful cargo um Bicycle um, donated from Splendid this early on, but um, and, and yeah, just, it's it's right now it's just a matter of we 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 work with a van and a bike, so getting the van and the bike together, is, we we just need a hitch, yeah, which is what. $10,000, Drew?
5: No, no, they're not that much, <laughs> but we'd like to modify the van more. But I would say with the bike, the first day we used it, we, we were over on the Esplanade, and we got a call. Like, Can you come over to the west side to see someone under the bridge? And it, we were there and back within 15 minutes, Yeah. where it took us at least 25 minutes to park the van, yeah, right. if we were lucky, and then walk and things like that. So the vision is that we're going to be able to deploy these teams and cover way more geographical ground and have more volunteers out there doing and scouting and really doing the kind of the bang for the buck. So I, I mean, I see it only. It's going to be a great asset that, that we we just are looking forward to um, deploying and stuff like that. So. And, and there's a
4: lot of people. Um just between where the spring water starts on the east side all the way down like that we can't get to mm. via the van I mean because it's just such a long yeah, distance you got
0: you've got two inputs on mm. three miles of trail yeah down. so
4: if we could like have a team start out on the east bank and work their way towards you know 90 you know 90 second or something and then catch up with the van it would be amazing and we'd be able to reach so many people that no mm-hmm. one is reaching out to.
3: Well, that, and also we go through supplies so quickly, so we will all fill up our bags before we go, and we have these great medical kits that we are fully supplied, and an hour or two in, we can be completely out of something, and going back and forth to the van can be cumbersome, and it's a big time, not ne- not necessarily a waster, but it does take a lot of time, so having the bike, we can fill the bike up with more supplies that mm-hmm. we know we're going to be using, and then have more resources closer to us.
0: Yeah just get getting that maximum efficiency excellent uh well tom do you have any last questions for our group um no i think that
1: that entered a lot and it piqued my interest a lot um yeah I, i'm looking forward to learning more about it
0: yeah and if folks are interested in learning more about portland street medicine what can they do to find out
5: well, we can, we first, we have our website, portlandstreetmedicine.org. You can um, get on there and kind of check out what we're doing, see a video of what we're doing. Um, there's a, a, a contact list. If you just send an email from there, it'll come to Bill, usually, or me, and then we'll kind of respond um, about what's going on there. Our phone number is 503-501-1231. People can call and ask questions, or if they are out Bicycling around and they see a camp that maybe they're concerned about, please let us know where it is and we'll try to get out there on our next time that we're going out. We're very much interested in like um, reaching some of the folks that are maybe more difficult to reach and especially when um, community members refer. We, it's, um, it really goes a long way. So,
2: And finally, um, we are totally independent. We're not affiliated with any of the um, health care networks at this point um, mm. or either any governmental groups, the city, the county. Uh, It's tough because that means uh, we don't have a funding stream, so um, we want to be independent. I don't know that we will be that forever, but right now it's a really good place for us, so to do that, we need a few dollars.
1: You are accepting... Like individual oh, donations? Yeah.
5: There's a donate button on our website. Mm-hmm. We have these really cool shirts that say, I support Portland Street Medicine. If you donate a certain amount, you might get one. I got one on right now that you can't see, but um, <laughs> it's there. Um, <laughs> uh, and um, th- uh, th- th- the other thing I was going to say is, yeah, the, the donations on the website. And then we have our Facebook page and some other things like that.
3: Oh, We also it- have an Instagram account um, oh. as well as Facebook for social media.
0: Cool. So portlandstreetmedicine.org, Instagram, everything else under the hood. Check it out. And uh, good luck to you all. I I hope to hear many good things to come. And thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you. Thanks, guys.
4: Yeah, thanks for having us on. Yeah, Thank you.
0: (laughs) Great talking to you guys. Uh, Thank you to the crew from Portland Street Medicine for joining us. They had to take off. And while we might not have four wonderful people who help out those in need in the studio anymore, do you know what we do have to read next, Tom? Uh, I'm guessing it might be the calendar.
4: That it is. I love, I love, I love, I love, I love my calendar. Don't, don't ever use that.
0: The second Thursday of every month, we have the Joyful Riders Club in Minneapolis. The second Friday of every month, Boston Bike Party. Also the second Friday of every month, the Indianapolis Bike Party.
1: Also, also the second Friday of every month, East Bay Bike Party.
0: The last Friday of every month is the Baltimore Bike Party.
1: And every second Sunday of every month in
0: Portland, the Cordova Bike Club Ride. November 19th is the rescheduled October 29th P-Town Scooter Throwdown, which is today. Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> well, guess who will be recording a podcast episode <laughs> instead of going to that, perhaps? Uh, bummer. It's okay. I'm sure that those who've showed up to P-Town Throwdown with Eric Ivy Actually, that makes total sense because... Uh, in our news as we'll get to it they're pulling the program tomorrow so if you're listening on thursday this has already happened but you know what hasn't happened is november 22nd the pdx thanksgiving dead streets ride
1: and on november 24th cranksgiving it is happening folks
0: oh yeah any special shout outs for cranksgiving Um, passing of the torch
1: yeah juliana wallace has picked up the torch and is carrying it bravely um and things are looking really good. And uh, the new venue is Nomad Cycles, uh, the bike shop on um, Sandy.
0: Yeah, check it out. It should be a good one, as it always is. <laughs> on November 27th, we have the Bike to Winter Wonderland Bike the Lights. In November
1: 29th, the Brompton Storytime in Minneapolis.
0: December 2nd is the Reed Ravine Ramble. And December 9th is Kimmy Cross, a alley cross race. And this is also courtesy of the Beer Mongers. It's 11.30 a.m. Kimmy Cross is now in its fourth year and is a dedication to Kim Matheson, a dear friend and founding member of the Beer Mongers Cycle Club. Hey, speaking of the Beer mongers, we happen to be sipping some very tasty beverages right now. Uh what what have you got over there Tom?
1: I've got uh Lionheart's Heroes blend kombucha. It's a dry kombucha and it's uh like a less it's it's not as sweet as a normal kombucha and I'm delighted by it Excellent. frankly, that, delighted. That's
0: a Flora's favorite right over there. And in honor of our missing Aaron, I've got also a Lionheart, a Lionheart kombucha of raspberry harvest variety and it is quite good. Uh speaking of beer mongers, They're still doing Kimmy Cross. And, uh, yeah, the the nature of this type of race is that it's a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants checkpoint race around the city. The distance and route are determined by you and how you navigate from point to point and complete the tasks. It is mostly on-road, but there are some sections of off-road. No part of it will be dangerous or too difficult. Over the years, we've seen folks ride everything from swing bikes to full-suspension mountain bikes. Kimmy Cross starts and ends at the Beer Mongers. And winners will have their names engraved on the Kimmy Cup. Uh, so, yeah, fun event. Hope you, you are able to make it and get some Kimmy Cross in.
1: Wow. Okay. I might have to check that out this year. Um, and on December 15th and 16th, Bike Craft. Oh, yeah.
0: And January 8th, we've got the Bowie Birthday Ride.
1: And here are the upcoming filmed by Bike tour dates. Uh, they'll be in Hood River, Oregon, December 7th. Bendigo, Australia, November 30th, Phoenix, Arizona, November 17th, Boise, Idaho, January 18th, Los Angeles, California, January 27th,
0: and Arcata, California, March 15th. Excellent. And if you've got an event or something coming up that you'd like folks to know about, let us know. We'll put it on our calendar if it's bike related or fun. Um uh, Upcoming next are <laughs> our headlines.
6: What can compare with the thrill of a
3: brand new bike? I like my bike, it's fast. I like my bike, it's fast. I like my bike, it's fast. It circles around the city lights.
5: That'll just fast as we can into the morning light. That'll just fast
0: as we can into the morning light. via Tim Mooney. Ever have these folks on, and this is in regards to Friends of Bikes. Uh, because it can often be intimidating to join a community, Sugar and Folleson created a group to organize rides specifically for women of color, trans, and gender non conforming people of color to reduce the barrier of entry for non represented people in the Portland cycling scene and show them the positive experiences cycling and bike camping can provide. Side note if you would like to come on the show and you are Molly Sugar or any person involved with um, (laughs) this endeavor let us know we'd love to have you on
1: all right so the other headline that also came in from tim mooney bird says new scooter regulations make it impossible to serve dc okay so bird scooters that company's main gripe with the proposed regulations appears to be the vehicle cap which many scooter and bike advocates were hoping would be eliminated entirely, but it also takes issue with Dot's 10 mile per hour speed cap on scooters and the 20 mile per hour speed limit on bikes, arguing that these different speed requirements will actually end up making the roads more dangerous. So they say, quote, vehicles traveling at significantly different speeds will create dangerous conditions and could increase opportunity for collisions between
0: cars, e-scooters, and bikes. hmm And so D.C., um, Portland is actually pulling their pilot program on... Um tomorrow actually yeah, i think it's tomorrow or or such uh and so dc also had a pilot program going on and i think the main argument was that with the current cap and i'm trying to find it i think in the article here it was something like eight or 900 scooters it might actually be less than that but okay. the, ar- the argument was that with the cap as such uh it would it would be not possible to have a equal distribution between the population centers and the more disparate parts of the dc area okay. so naturally um or or I guess I said naturally, but I shouldn't necessarily say naturally. The thought would be is that the more affluent areas would be served and the under-affluent areas would have no-bird scooters as a means of transit. So right. this is something that we've seen play out in the Portland proposal, where PBOT also had a requirement for scooters east of 82nd, uh, and it looks like it will be potentially similar or worse in D.C. So this this remains to be seen, but mm-hmm. um, hopefully they'll be able to revisit this and, and come out with something um, a little bit more equitable.
1: Do you have any uh, opinion about a 10-mile-an-hour 10, 10 speed cap on scooters and the idea that different speeds create dangerous conditions
0: i do i think that the 10 mile an hour is a little bit low uh i would prefer to see one more in line with the average speed of a bike so at least 12 or so would be my preference those
1: two that two miles an hour could could make a difference it does over over (laughs) a long greenway you never know yeah
0: yeah. Uh, so portland's are capped at 15 miles an hour i believe and personally as one who has ridden a scooter a time or two i think the 15 works really well Uh for Portland. for folks that don't know, Portland has a uh, regu- or, or a setup for its lights downtown that's called the Green Wave. And so, in essence, if mm-hmm. you can keep 13 miles an hour, you can get a green light all the way down Broadway Street and many of our other downtown streets. And so, I think it's a very natural fit to have scooters that are capable of at least that. Um, and so, 15, even if you're running a bit low on battery, you're going to kind of naturally still be at about that 12 range. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also, I think this is also uh, something that I, I align with similarly with e-bikes is that e-bikes... It's actually really nice when they can go the speed of traffic, particularly Mm -hmm. if your speed of traffic, theoretically, is 20 miles an hour for urban streets. Right on. So if you're able to get up and go, you're keeping pace with uh, drivers. You no longer have drivers necessarily breathing down your neck or doing really stupid things Mm -hmm. to try to get around you or harass you. Uh, Okay, I can follow that logic. How about you? Any thoughts on the 10 miles?
1: Mm, I, I haven't really given it a ton of thought. It seems like um, what you're saying, like, to be able to at least catch the green wave, that that, uh, that argument, um, you know, that seems to carry some weight. And, and I like the idea of being, you know, like what you're saying with uh, keeping up with the 20-mile-an-hour traffic, or at least, you know, even at 15 miles an hour, people won't be trying to pass as much, and that's, yeah. that's a danger zone right there.
0: Yeah, definitely. And this, I think, was also an article um, brought to us by Tim Mooney, but also a local version of this published on bikeportland.org if you're curious to see the local weigh-in on the issue and um we don't have any more mail for this week but uh do you know what we do have i cannot guess well i said head mail but i meant to say headlines and then say mail so i'm gonna say that again <laughs> we don't have any more headlines for this week but you know what we do have we got mail Dan Gebhardt, who's a time traveler, sends us this tweet. Bike errand tip. Roll up a couple of reusable shopping bags and shove them in the bottle cage. Need to stop at a store but don't have your panniers with you? No problem. Plop them on your portier rack, bungee them to the back rack, or just sling them over your shoulder. Excellent tip, by the way. Um, I, Yeah, I've always been like a pannier rider. Like It's kind of like, if I show up on a bike, I will have a pannier. Right. But... The times that I regret not having a bag the most are those which I forget my pannier. So. Right on. I feel like that would be a good use for that third bottle cage on the bottom of a surly. <laughs> right, yeah. Thanks for the tip, Dan.
1: Great. Um, and Tim C via Facebook
0: had a comment on episode
1: 439. That was a great show. Had me in tears. What a guest.
0: Yes. Always good to have the Metal Cowboy on. And uh, so glad about the the good recovery and excited to hear about... The um, the the sounds like the most interesting person in cycling that you've not heard about. Uh, so look, looking forward to his book coming out soon. Also, uh, I I think we covered this last episode. The namesake for Gladys bicycles. Um, we also have a write-in from Richard Bozinski, which is a correction of episode 438, or, or a clarification, if you will. Bike Snob is Eben Weiss, who's the author of The Bike Snob. And then kickstands equals awesome, so chuck one more tick <laughs> in the kickstands Our fun box. <laughs> Lastly, uh, we have a voicemail from Brock.
6: Hey, it's Brock, Podcast. It's Brock. And I am down here at Union Station at 641. I'm looking at an inner-city bus that I'm going to take... Presumably down to work and uh, right now it's closed and no one's there and I imagine I will load later, but Made a big decision this week Decided to myself that uh, it's not worth worrying to myself about what's gonna happen to my expensive bike Well, it's locked up for 10 hours a day at the train station. So I am a bike share member I live outside the service boundary But a 10-minute walk gets me to a place where there's a bike locked up almost every single day I ride that bike down here, I lock it up at the station, and I forget about it. And that is so worth the price of admission, in my opinion. So, uh, interesting. Uh, I went from never having done bike share to riding bike share to being an annual member of bike share. So, uh, good news. Anyways, hope you're having a good day, and I will talk to you soon.
0: Thanks, Brock. Yeah, bike share. Uh, And for those... Coming into the loop, Brock had posted a survey on Twitter as to what mechanism right. to avoid bike theft. He should uh, go through. I was I was of the quick release uh, theft deterrent, but I I appreciate and I understand that bike share will definitely solve that worry question quite a bit more right. than just ho- still hoping that your lock is there and using yeah. or, or securing your bike when you get back.
1: Peace of mind is worth a pretty penny.
0: Oh yeah, well, and, and not even a pretty penny. Bike share at a hundred a year, um, and then discounts for those who are um, not able to afford the full membership comes in at a pretty good deal in my book. Well, that brings us to the end of yet another episode. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Tom. Hey, it was really fun. I appreciate you filling in for Aaron. I'm sure he's having plenty of fun freezing in Minneapolis. Uh, but we got to have a show all of our own in his absence. Right on. Ready for the outro? I'm ready. All right. The Sprocket Podcast is produced at Stream PDX Community Audio Studio thanks to the generous support of Open Signal. Our website is thesprocketpodcast.com. Email to thesprocketpodcast at gmail.com.
1: Call or text to 503-847-9774. Twitter and the Instagrams at Sprocket Podcast. Thanks to Ryan J.
0: Lane for our theme music. Hurtbird for our headline sounder. Marcus Norman for graphic design. And thanks to our sustaining donors, Logan Smith, Shadowfoot, Katharina Melingard, Wayne Norman, Ethan Georgie, Eric Iverson, Cameron Lean, Richard Brzezinski, Tim Mooney, Glenn Kubish, Matt Kelly, and Eric Weiss. Todd Parker, Dab... Dan Gebhardt, who's a time traveler thanks for writing in as well Dave Knows, Chris Smith Caleb Jenkinson, J.P. Cuey Peanut Butter Jar Matt Marco Lowe, Rich Otterstrom
1: Andrew in Colorado Drew the Welder, Anna Andre Johnson, King of Division Richard G Guthrie Straw, hello Aaron Green, author of We Were Like Funds and founder of The Regrainery
0: Campsite, Mac Nurse David, Nathan Bolton. Chris Rawson, Rory in Michigan, Michael Flowernoy, Jeremy Kitchen, David Belay,
1: Tim Coleman, Harry Gugel, E.J. Finneren, Brad Hipwell, Thomas Skato, Keith Hutchinson, Ranger Tom, Joyce Wilson, Ryan Pam, Derek Wagoner, Jason Oftenberg, Microcosm
0: Publishing, David Moore, Todd Grossbeck, Chris Barron, Chris Barron, Chris Barron, Chris Barron. John Baird, Simon, Gregory Braithwaite, Ryan Morrow, Jimmy Diesel, Dude Luna, Matthew
6: Rooks,
0: (laughs) Marshall, and Paula Efunatake Cyclecraft, Philip M. Spartan Dale, no relation, and to all of our former donors who've helped us get this far, now brush your teeth and go to bed.